Uh, I know some of y'all love the Grinch like I love the Grinch, so uh, man, excited to be here with y'all. Good morning, Relentless. My name is Raph, um, associate pastor here at Relentless Church, and excited to be here with y'all this morning wrapping up our Grinch series. Before we jump into that, just a couple of uh, announcements, reminders, if you will. Next week, man, it's Christmas, y'all. It is upon us, so... Christmas Eve, Saturday, we've got two Christmas Eve services. We're doing 3.30 and 5 o'clock here. Uh, we uh, invite you to bring your, your friends, your family. Uh, we are excited to, to celebrate with y'all. It's going to be a little bit different. It's a family service, so nursery will be open for the littlest ones, but our preschool and elementary will be closed, and we're inviting them to come in and worship with you all as a, as a family. Um, and so again, looking really, really forward to that, and we hope to, to see you here. And then um, every year as a church, we take the last Sunday uh, of the year uh, off as a church to kind of regroup, rest up, give our volunteers and our staff a break, and just collectively catch our breath and hit the ground running in the new year. This year, because of the way the calendar fell, that's going to be January 1st, and then we will see you back here on Sunday, January 8th. Okay, so just some reminders on that, get that housekeeping out of the way. Um, so the Grinch, okay, uh, this miserable character who lives up on Mount Crumpet. Uh, for 53 years, he's been up there, man, listening to the Who's down in Whoville celebrate Christmas, and it drives him crazy. He hates it. He hates them. Finally, he gets sick of it, decides he's going to go down there. He's going to steal Christmas. He takes all their toys, all their uh, presents, all the decorations, all the food, everything they would need uh, to celebrate Christmas, or at least what he thought they would need. Then he goes up to the top of Mount Crumpet with all their stuff, and he's feeling really proud of himself because he thinks he's effectively ruined Christmas for them. But much to his surprise, he, he hears them. Uh, he actually said he wanted to hear the sounds of the who's boohooing, okay? Instead, what he heard was them singing joyfully, okay? Why? Because uh, they know that Christmas isn't about all that stuff. And, and so the Grinch himself realizes that, as you, as you saw, what we didn't get to see was that he actually goes down and returns everything, and the Who's welcome him with open arms and actually make him the guest of honor at their Christmas dinner, and he gets to carve the roast, uh, the roast beast, okay? So happy ending, all's well, that ends well. Um, if you, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, um, just to give you a quick recap, week one, we kicked the series off talking about uh, joy, Okay, that, that there's an enemy. Just like the Grinch who, who stole Christmas, we have an enemy. Jesus warns us there's an enemy. His name is Satan, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And ultimately, since he can't take the life, the real life that Jesus came to give, what he'll, what he'll settle for is to steal your joy. Okay, last week we, we, uh, we had a little play on little Cindy Lou Who being thirsty, asking for a drink of water. And the, the bottom line is this, we're all thirsty. Whether we realize it or not, we have a thirst inside of us that only Jesus can quench, and he wants to. He came to quench that thirst for us, okay? Um, I did a, a little bit of research on, uh, on the, the Grinch this week, and, and what I found was that uh, Dr. Seuss uh, wrote this book uh, in 1957 at the age of 53 years old, okay? And it was a huge success right away, just sold tons and tons of copies, and he started doing interviews. And this one interview he gave, they asked him, where'd the, where the idea for the book come from? Why'd you write this? And he said, it's, it was about me. <laughs> Quite simply, it's, it was about me. Uh, for 53 years of my life, I had a small heart, and I didn't view Christmas the right way. Is, is what he said. And so he wrote the story of the Grinch, and he put himself in as the Grinch, the main, the main character. Now, um, I don't know, there's some debate as to whether or not um, uh, Dr. Seuss was a Christian or a practicing Christian, at least uh, when he wrote this or at the end of his life, he was raised in church, but he might have gone back and forth. We don't, we don't really know. What I do know for this is for sure is this, because he said it himself, he had a heart change. 
he experienced a heart change at, at some point in his life. And of course, that's what inspired him to, to put that in, in his story, right? And, and uh, what, I, what I want you to know is Dr. Seuss in this book wasn't commenting just on his own life. That's where it started, but it was also a commentary on American culture in general, okay? He was saying Christmas in America has become about materialism, about gifts, about receiving and getting, and all these things that it wasn't meant to be. And he felt like the true Christmas spirit is, is gone. But, but when he really began to dig into it, he discovered Christmas really is about so much more. And upon that realization, his heart changed. His heart changed, just like the Grinch, okay? And so I want to talk to you this morning about the power of a heart change, okay? The power of a heart change. Um, I've got, just for an illustration, this is a, a dollar bill, okay? This dollar bill represents money, okay? Now, this particular dollar bill uh, came from the, we call it the dollar jar, in my kitchen, on the counter, okay? Um, here's how this started. All right? It was my wife's idea, but I loved it, and we're going with it. We got our electric bills like crazy, just through the roof. I got all these kids just leaving lights on everywhere they go. I just, you know, pulling the driveway. My house is lit up like a Christmas tree. And there's like, so I'm like, I'm sick of this. We've been telling them over and over, shut off the light, shut off the light, shut off the light. So finally, we said, all right, here's the deal. If I walk into a room and no one's in it, if I walk into your bedroom and you're not in it, and the light is on, you go, you owe me a dollar. They got their little piggy banks. They've been saving up their money. You give me a dollar, it goes in the jar, Okay. We've yet to decide what we're going to do, but at a certain point, six months, year, whenever it is, that jar gets so full we can't put another dollar in it, we'll decide what we want to do as a family. Maybe we'll go out to eat, we'll go do something fun, you know. But ultimately, I want the electric bill to go down, but I also want to teach them a lesson about money and, 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 and respect and value and all that stuff, okay? Some of my kids get it right away, right? Give me a dollar, they never had to give me a dollar again. Like, they were, I got one who's running around shutting off lights every chance they get, right? I got another kid who just wakes up, gives me a $5 bill, like, it's going to be a week. Like, here you go. This should cover me. Like, so, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress, okay? But again, this dollar represents not just money. It represents everything that money can buy, okay? All the, all the toys, the cars, the houses, the boats, the cell phones, the clothing, jewelry, whatever it is that you would buy, that's what it, that's what it represents. And I want you to understand today that money wants your heart. Money wants your heart, okay? And it's trying with everything it can to take up that space right here, okay, uh, inside of you, because it knows if it can get into your heart, then it can drive the decisions that you make, okay? And, and money, the desire for stuff, the desire for things and for possessions drives so much in our culture, doesn't it? It, it really does when you think about it. And there's not a better time to, to talk about that than around Christmas time, when we've all got our Christmas wish, list, right? Or our kids have their Christmas wish list, and we've got our expectations or the things that are expected of us or the things that we're, we're hoping for, right? And so it's a good time to stop and think about um, this idea that money wants your heart. Now, uh, full disclosure, I'll, I'll tell you how this is manifesting in our house. My wife and I, after Thanksgiving, we sat down, had a conversation. We got to talk about the budget, Christmas coming up. December is obviously an expensive month. We got to, you know, what, only the essentials. What are we going to do? You know, just trying to be smart and, and strategic and do the right things. And so we get on the same page. Here's our, we're going to attack Christmas this year. Um, not two days later, my wife's like, can I talk to you about something? Sure. <laughs> let's, let's talk. I always know something's coming when she starts like that. She's like, well, I've been thinking about, um, you know, finishing the attic. 
finish in the attic. What do you, I'm like, that sounds expensive. Like we just talked about the whole budget and all this. She's like, I know, but if we do a lot of the work ourselves, it may not cost that much unless you go on and on. What you need to understand about my wife and I and our dynamic is that she's a dreamer, okay? She is the dreamer in the relationship. And if not for a lot of her dreams, we may not have done a lot of the things that we've been able to accomplish in our life. I am the place where dreams go to die. I'm, I'm the one who crushes your dreams and brings you back to reality, okay? And in this instance, I feel like I'm on firm ground, right? It's Christmas, see, we just talked about money's tight, all that stuff. What are you dreaming about? Like, finish, that's like maybe when the kids are teenagers, we might do that, right? And so we have that conscious, like, all right, fine, you know, whatever. Now, before I throw my wife completely under the bus, I got to say, just, I have my own things too, right? I, I have my things, and uh, for me, I would never say, she would tell you, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on material things. I would never want to say, oh, money's got my heart. But if I'm honest, my stomach, my heart is usually in my stomach. If you want to locate it, it's somewhere down here, okay? And, and by that, I mean I will spend any amount of money I can to get the best meal I can, and I won't think twice about it, okay? And so, so a couple days, not even a couple days after that conversation, laying up in bed, it's midnight. I like, cannot sleep. I'm tossing and turning. I grab my phone. The light kind of disturbs her. She's like, what are you doing, right? She's like, Finally rolls over, looks up, what are you look, looking on your phone? I'm like kind of embarrassed. And she's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's the menu for the Angus barn, which is like, I've never been there yet, but I hear it's amazing. This like uh, one of the best steakhouses in, in uh, Raleigh. And I'm like drooling over this tomahawk steak they have. And I'm like, hun, they decorate it really nice for Christmas. It's supposed to be amazing. I'm, whatever I can to justify going there and spending an ungodly amount of money on a steak. And she's like, you have problems. Like you have issues. Okay. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it looks like for y'all. What's on your list? what you want, what your kids want, or so on. I do know this. Money's after your heart this Christmas. Money is, money is after your heart. And I want you to see the danger of what happens from Scripture when money successfully grabs hold of your heart and, and it starts making decisions for you. Okay, maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, it's the big deal, really. It's not a big deal. I'm having fun with this, right? No big deal. Here's what you need to understand. Money, stuff, things, possessions, and the desire for them will be the number one competitor for your heart, not just this Christmas, but for the rest of your life. That's why there are more verses in Scripture about money and possessions and and things than anything else, okay? More than faith, forgiveness, mercy, grace, even even love. There are more verses about money and possessions and wanting them and them coming after your heart than anything else. Why? Because God knew, because Jesus knew, and he warned us, he wanted us to be prepared. Money wants your heart. The desire for things, for stuff, is coming after your, your heart. And so today we're going uh, to look at a story in Matthew chapter 19 about a young man who, from the outside looking in, had it all together, okay? Uh, he's the kind of guy that was well thought of in his community. He was responsible. He went to church regularly. He did the right things. He was the type of guy that you would want your, your son to hang out with, to be friends with. He's the type of guy that, quite frankly, you would want your daughter to, to date, okay? He was the type of friend that you would want your kids to have. And from the outside looking in, he was a good young man. He, he had it all together. But money had hold of his heart. Money had hold of his heart. And I want you to see what that looks like. Uh, Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is Good. I love just instantly right off the bat. Jesus like, listen, there's nobody good except for one, and you're looking at him. So, so right off the bat, your premise is, is off base, okay? But, but, but nonetheless, Jesus continues to answer his question. But to answer your question, 
if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. So notice, again, Jesus is referencing the Ten Commandments, but the list that he gives, the specific ones that he mentions are kind of all the second half of the Ten Commandments that have to deal with other people, how you treat others and how you relate to, to, to your community, okay? He leaves out the kind of first few that, that all have to do with our relationship with, with God. Okay, he continues, verse 20. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter, okay? He knows. List the, the ones you did with other people. This guy's like, I've done that, man. I'm good. Everyone knows. Ask about me. Man, I'm a good man. I can do all the right things. I've earned it. I get it. I've done it. And Jesus now is like, yeah, but something else has hold of your heart. There's something else. All the ones that have to do with God, right? Those first few commandments are you shall not worship any other gods. You'll have no idols, okay? Uh, um, you know, basically put God first above everything else in your life. And Jesus understands. He knows this guy's heart. He can see right through him and says, you're not willing to do that, are you? Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything as possible. Again, this is a good guy. Good reputation, okay? Standing in his community, the type of guy people want to hang out with, okay? Be friends with, the type of guy most people even look up to. He's an upstanding citizen, follows the rules, goes to church on the regular, okay? Treats people, the golden rule, treats you the way you want to be treated, um, and, 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 and he does the right things. This guy walks up to Jesus. I'm guessing he even bowed before Jesus, right? Because he knows the right things to do. He knows who Jesus is. And so he's got the proper amount of, 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 of respect. He understands Jesus's uh, authority, okay? Um, he's got proximity to Jesus. Again, he, he's close to Jesus. He knows who he is and what he's done. And yet, still he misses it. Still he misses it. He ends up turning around and, and walking away. And I read that, and I can't help but notice the similarities between this rich young ruler and many of us. Because a lot of us, we've got proximity to Jesus. We're around church. We know the rules. We know, we know what to say and what not to say. We know how to go through the motions. And uh, there are so many people who are religious acting, okay? And they're well thought of from the outside. You ask anybody who looks at them, say, man, that's a good man. That's a good woman. They do the right things. But at the end of the day, something else has their heart. Something else has control of their heart. In this case, it was, it was, it was money, right? It was this guy's stuff. He didn't want to let go of his, of his things. And the crazy thing is this, this guy was face-to-face -face with Jesus. He heard Jesus say it for himself, okay? You have to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and you need to understand, Jesus didn't say you got to give all your stuff away in order to get to heaven. Like, this is a requirement to be saved. Give all your stuff to the poor. That's not what Jesus was saying. Sell everything you own and give all your money to the poor, and that's the only way you get into heaven. No, Jesus' point, what he was saying was, if I asked you to do that, would you? 
He was putting this young man to the test. Put your, put your money where your mouth is. It's where that saying comes from. Jesus was basically saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. I'm after your heart. Because he knew this young man had been going through all the motions. He was checking all the boxes. He was saying the right things. But at the end of the day, something else had control of his heart. And so what you need to understand today, for every person in this room, Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants your heart. If you're here today and, 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 and you don't know Jesus, we, we, we like to say we are a church for the untold and unconvinced. And so we are praying and hoping on any given Sunday that there will be people here who maybe uh, have never heard the gospel or heard it and didn't quite understand it or didn't believe it or anywhere in between. I'm just checking this out. I've got questions. I'm not sure about Jesus, but, but where, if that's you, first of all, welcome. <laughs> We're glad you're here. And this is a place. This is a safe place you can come and ask those questions and wrestle those th- uh, with those things. And we would love to come alongside you in that journey, okay? But I also want you to know up front, Jesus wants you to know that, that he wants your heart. He wants your heart. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, a believer, okay? You need to understand God's after your heart. And for some of you, he wants to point out, just like he did for this young man, that something else has got control of your heart right now. Something else is, has grabbed hold of it. Think about it. Jesus, uh, you know, Matthew said, upon hearing this, the young man walked away sad, okay? And I read that, and I can't help but wonder why Jesus doesn't run after him, okay? Jesus promised him that there, there would be treasure in heaven. And remember, Jesus isn't just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper, okay? When he says it, you can, you can take it to the bank. He tells this guy, listen, I got treasures for you in heaven way more than anything you can have on this earth. And he knows this guy's got a lot of stuff, okay? But yet still, he walks away. He walks away from that promise, and Jesus just lets him walk, okay? He doesn't chase after him, doesn't try to convince him. He doesn't make an excuse for him. And if I'm honest, that scares me a little bit because I wonder how many of us would fit into that same category where we act like we got it all together. Everything looks good on the outside, but Jesus doesn't really have hold of our heart. Man, we may play the game. We can speak the Christian lingo, show up to church on Sunday, and if you were to ask us, we'd say, yeah, I love Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I follow him. But at the end of the day, we've given our heart to something or someone else. This young man, his heart belonged to his money. And at the end of the story, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, it's so hard, y'all. It's so hard for rich people to enter heaven. In fact, it's basically impossible. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm broke, so I'm good, right? <laughs> I got nothing to worry about, Okay. He's not talking about me, but here's the reality. For those of us who are blessed enough to live here in the United States of America, okay, in comparison to the rest of the world, by, by the world's standards, 97% of, of this country is rich, okay? That's just, that's just some perspective, okay? Something to think about. When Jesus says it's hard for rich people to get into heaven, he's talking about us. He's talking about us. So there's that, right? But also, He's not just making a point about how hard it is for rich people to get into heaven. What Jesus is really saying here is that it's impossible. It is impossible, humanly speaking, for any of us to get into heaven. For any of us, okay? Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Point is, we need a miracle. We, we need a miracle. We are all every single one of us born hopeless, helpless, and headed to hell. That is the natural human condition. That's how we, that's how we come into the world, because of our sinful nature, okay? That's, that's true of all of us, and, and I don't think you'd have to think 
uh, too hard to, to um, find evidence of that being true uh, in your own life, but, but just in case, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an illustration. Um, I've got a picture of my, my daughter. This is my youngest, Nina, okay? She's cute, isn't she? She's got those, you just want to squeeze her every chance you get, like just the most beautiful, precious, can do no wrong thing I've ever met in my entire life, okay? I just love to hold her and squeeze her and play with her. Now, her two favorite things in the world right now are my cell phone and the remote control. Those two things. And she's only got eyes for those things. And if you get in her way, man, you feel her wrath, right? So, so I, you know, take the remote and she'll just throw a huge fit, scream and hit. And she's like, what is going on, right? I made the mistake of confiscating my cell phone from her the other day. And you see those little teeth, those sharp teeth. She just ah, buried her face right in my chest and bit. I'm like, what in the world? Now, here's why I share this, okay? We don't, this isn't learned behavior. We don't walk around our house biting each other. Maybe we don't get our way. Like, this is instinctively inside of her. This is what I do when I don't get what I want because it's sinful nature, okay? It's, 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 it's sinful nature. There's, there's something that we all have, right? Paul, the apostle Paul said, there's no one righteous, not even one. Not even one. From the best of us to the worst of us, right? And so we all need a miracle. We all need Jesus to step in and intervene on our behalf. And so I want to point you to another story in Scripture. This one's found in Luke chapter 19, story about another rich man who had allowed money to grab hold of his heart. And then he has a similar encounter with Jesus, only this guy responds much differently than uh, the rich young ruler did. And as a result, Jesus performs a miracle, okay? Turns his life upside down, change his heart, all right? This one's, again, Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to, the, to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And so there's a little contrast here. First, we read about the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus, walked away from his invitation. And now we see the story of Zacchaeus, okay, who was a chief tax collector, okay? There are two categories of bad people in Israel in that day. They were sinners and they were tax collectors, okay? Sinners were bad and tax collectors were worse, all right? And this guy's chief tax collector, so he's the worst of the worst, okay? Tax collectors were, uh, were uh, tasked with basically uh, collecting taxes for the Roman Empire who was oppressing the Israelites, okay? And so he would show up and, and if you didn't have the money, they would beat you and threaten you until you got the money. Okay, and then pay whatever was owed to Rome to Rome. But not only that, he was rich. How did he get rich? By lining his own pockets, by taking more than was owed and, and, and keeping a little bit on the side for himself. Okay, and so uh, this, this man would have been, Zacchaeus was hated. 
He was, he, he was considered a traitor by his people, okay, hated by his fellow Jews. Jesus comes into town, right? Runs up in the trees, just wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus sees him in the tree, stops, calls him down by name. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, right there in front of everybody. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we don't speak uh, Hebrew, but what Zacchaeus meant in, in, in the original language when translated was pure, innocent, righteous, okay? Luke also tells us that the tree Zacchaeus climbed was a sycamore fig tree, okay? Whenever we see reference to figs or a fig tree, specifically in Luke's gospel, it's almost always connected to fruitfulness in the context of, of salvation, repentance and salvation, okay? Uh, and, and so um, Luke's hinting at something here, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a symbol of restoration, and new life, the sycamore fig tree. Not only that, but the Greek word Luke uses for fig here um, has the same root word as the, as the Greek word for oppressor and, and extortioner, okay? So, so um, stay with me. Suko, the, the, it's Suko fantis is oppressor. Sukomera is, is fig tree, okay? But again, they share the same root word. Luke is very intentional. He's, of all the gospel writers, he was a doctor. He's kind of like approaches this thing like scientific method. He's very detail-oriented. He gives more details and facts than pretty much any of the other gospels, okay? And it's on purpose. When Luke puts something in there, it's for a reason. So I think he's, I think he's giving us a play on words here regarding Zacchaeus's name, okay? Is it possible that in drawing our attention to where Zacchaeus was, in the fig tree, Luke was pointing us to what Zacchaeus was at the time, an oppressor, a, 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 an extortioner, okay, hated by his own people. And by calling his name out loud in front of everyone, Zacchaeus, Jesus was reminding him. Jesus was reminding Zacchaeus, and he was pointing us to the, to the fact that that's not who he had been called to be, that he had called to be innocent, pure, righteous one. Right? This is who you are, and this is how the world sees you. This is, this is who I created you to be, and this is how I see you. I think what God is trying to communicate to us here in the story of Zacchaeus is that it doesn't matter how busted up and broken you feel. It doesn't matter how, how, how sinful you feel, how sinful you are, what you may have done, where you may have been, how guilty you feel like you are. God says, in Jesus Christ, I call you righteous. In Jesus Christ, I call you innocent. In Jesus, you are, you are pure. And I want to restore you. And I want to give you a new heart. What happens here is incredible. Zacchaeus repents. Jesus forgives him, removes his sin. Past, present, and future. They no longer count against him. And just like that, he's saved. He's saved. He's got a new heart. Okay? He's got a new heart. You might say, what's the evidence of that? Like, how do we know that's, that's true? Well, look what he does next. Look, look what happens. Suddenly, money no longer has control of his heart. And instead, it starts flowing from his hands. First, he's like, I'm going to give away half my, half my stuff. Right? Again, that wasn't a prerequisite from Jesus. That was just a natural, organic response from Zacchaeus. Okay? His possessions no longer ha- own him. Now they start to flow from his life. Why? Because when the abundance of Jesus flows into your life, generosity will flow out of it. When the abundance of Jesus flows into your life, generosity will flow out as a natural response. Remember, God is a giver, right? And whenever you truly recognize how much God has given you, you too will be compelled to give so much. It might be money. It might not be. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your service. Maybe it's, it's, it's your forgiveness or compassion that you've been withholding, okay? It's your giftedness that you can offer in some way. 
But when you truly perceive and understand how much God has given you, then you can't help but be generous in return with whatever it is that you do have. That's what happened to Zacchaeus because he had a new heart. Did you hear what Jesus said about him? He restores him and then he says, salvation has come to this house today. Salvation has come to this this house right there out loud in in front of a crowd of people. Okay, Jesus says about Zacchaeus, this is a true son of Abraham. And he restored him both to God and back to his people. Okay, remember, they were grumbling. (laughs) He's a traitor. He's a sinner. Jesus, how can you even talk to him? Don't go to his house. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? Jesus says, no, I'm God. I'm God. I came to seek and save the lost. And I say, he's a true son of the father. I restored him. I made him new. I gave him a new heart. What a, what a powerful transformation. I mean, we, don't, we don't get any other uh, details in Scripture about Zacchaeus. I wish we did. I wish we knew kind of how he lived out the rest of his, his days. Here's what I know for sure. I have no doubt he was never the same. He was never the same after, after he accepted that invitation from Jesus. Changed him forever. Question, I think, for, for us today is what, what about us? What about you and me? How are we going to respond to the same invitation from Jesus to give him our hearts today? Here's here's what I would tell you. There are only two kinds of people in this room today. There are Matthew 19 rich young rulers, and there are Luke 19 broken Zacchaeuses. And the only difference between the two is how you respond to the same invitation from Jesus. He sees you all the same. He sees us all the same. His invitation is, give me your heart. Give me your heart. There's an earlier on in Luke's gospel in chapter 15, Jesus is telling some parables about a lost coin and some lost sheep and ultimately the the parable of the the prodigal son. But what he says in Luke 15 uh, verse 7 is, in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Okay, and, and we know from his conversation with the rich young ruler, Jesus knows. He says, hey, there's no one good. There's only one, and it's me. You're looking at him, right? So, so these 99 righteous aren't really righteous. They believe they are righteous. They think they're righteous, and they don't need Jesus. And, and he's saying, there's a party in heaven every time one of my sheep, one of my sons, one of my daughters, one of my children realizes, I can't do this on my own. I'm sinful, I'm broken, and I need Jesus. And as soon as you realize that, he's right there saying, give me your heart, I'm going to give you life. Give me your heart, I'm going to give you new life, real life, full life. And there's a celebration in heaven. Jesus is calling you by name today. You're forgiven, you're innocent, you're pure. I've saved you, I paid the price for your sin. So come on down, I want to restore you and give you a new heart. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. It's true for every person in this room today. Kid, teenager, adult, single, married, volunteer, guest, everybody in between. Jesus wants your heart. This Christmas, the the Lord is trying to get your attention, and what he wants from you is your heart. We started out this series talking about the fact that God is a giver, right? And and the enemy, the devil, is is a taker. Jesus came to give you life, full life, abundant life, and the only thing he's ever tried to take from you is your sin. Think about that. The only thing he wants from you is your is your sin. He wants to take your sin 
and give you life in exchange. And in the process, you get a new heart. That's a good deal. Man, he says, I came to give you life. He means it. He means it. Such a giver. So I just I want to close with this. Um, it's a simple question, but I think it's important. Might be the most important question you ask yourself here and now, but especially when you leave here. You take it with you. You make the decision. Some of you have already made it to follow Jesus. I would, I would encourage you to return to this question over and over again. How's your heart? How's your heart? My brother's out there. Young man, how's your heart right now? Who's got control of it? My sisters, young women, how's your heart right now? What have you given it to? Who's got control of it? It might be the most important question you ever ask yourself. I'm going to ask you all to, to please stand with me as I get ready to close out. I just want you to reflect on that for a second. Just reflect on your heart right now. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to close your eyes and bow your heads. We're going to pray out. My daughter asked me the other day, Why do, we, do we have to close our eyes to pray? I said, no, we don't have to. <laughs> I, I pray all the time with my eyes open, especially when I'm driving. But <laughs> we do it, A, because it helps us focus, but also uh, because we are posturing our bodies and our minds to look inside and take inventory of our hearts right now. That's why we're doing this. God says, man sees what's on the outside, but he sees what's on the inside. Right now, I think Jesus is saying to us, to you specifically, I want your heart. <laughs> Would you give me your old busted up heart and let me give you a new one today? And so my prayer right now is for, for everyone in this room, God, but for, 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 for all the, the broken down Zacchaeuses, myself included, <laughs> Lord, that need you. God, for, for the, the rich young rulers who, who to this point haven't realized out there trying to, trying to prove it on their own, putting forth their resumes, thinking that we can be good enough, God, faking it till we make it, Lord, and everyone in between. God, I pray that you would just impress upon us right now, that you would grab hold supernaturally of every, every single heart. God, help us to put down whatever it is we've grabbed onto, Lord, not just this Christmas, but, but well into the new year and beyond. Father, for, for, for those of us who, uh, man, it's not material things. It's not, it's not money that has our hearts. It's, it's a fear of not having enough. It's a fear of, of not being provided for. It's a fear of, of, of just uh, not, not making it. God, I pray you would remove that anxiety, replace it with, with trust, supernatural confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. God, for anyone who, who hasn't given you their heart yet, just to this point in their life. Lord, I just pray you to press upon them. God, I pray that, that, that um, God, you would give them a re revelation of your love and your grace and your sacrifice and what you did on the cross, that in this moment right now, your love for them will become so real that, that they would have no other possible response but to give their heart to you and never look back, God. That they would be changed forever just like Zacchaeus was. Father, let no one in this room walk away from your invitation. God, we love you. We praise you. We need you, God. Thank you for new life. Thank you for a new heart. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Christmas Eve, make your plans. Figure out what, series you're uh, what, what service you're coming to. And uh, we, we're excited to see you then. Have a great week.